This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, and welcome to Nutshell Politics this week. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys back this week after a two-week hiatus. If you've been following this podcast, you know the last two weeks we did kind of the greatest hits replay episodes as I was uh, pretty swamped with some dissertation-related activities, and I am happy to report that last week I actually passed my PhD defense. Uh, So that's really exciting. I haven't gone through the full ceremony or anything yet. That'll be coming up in the next couple weeks. But uh, otherwise, I'm officially a doctor of philosophy in political science, uh, which I'm really, really thrilled about. It's a huge weight off my shoulders, and I'm I'm really excited. So, But now I'm back and ready to get back into the podcast this week with a brand new episode. And I think uh, this week we're going to be talking a little bit about an event that took place last weekend over Easter weekend in Sri Lanka. If you were paying attention, you saw there was actually a pretty major terrorist attack in Sri Lanka just last week on Easter Sunday. And so this was an attack by a very small, uh, almost unknown group called NTJ. And so I want to talk a little bit about who they are, uh, what we do know about them. There's actually not a lot that we know about them. But then also get a little bit into kind of the history that Sri Lanka has with terrorism because they actually have a fair amount of terrorist activity in their past from a couple different types of terrorist groups as well. And that's actually pretty pretty unique. They have at least three major types of terrorist groups that have committed uh, pretty horrific attacks. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as well. And that'll kind of be how we end the episode. But I wanted to kick things off by talking about this particular terrorist attack last Sunday and the NTJ themselves. Uh, So if you saw last Sunday, Easter Sunday, there were a series of deadly terror attacks targeting mostly churches, uh, hotels, and and a couple housing complexes as well. Uh, I believe it hit three Christian churches, three luxury hotels, and then two kind of housing areas. And over 300 people, I believe, they're claiming now have been killed in this attack. Uh, quite a few others injured as well. I mean, you're talking hundreds of people injured. It's one of the larger terror attacks in a long, long time in the world. And of note, these attacks took place kind of during Easter services in uh, three different cities, uh, Nagombo, uh, Baracaloa, and Colombo. Colombo is the capital of Sri Lanka. And these were all suicide bombings. So the, the attackers blew themselves up in addition to, to killing a lot of people. Now, this is of particular note for a handful of reasons. Uh, one, obviously, the, the actual casualty count was alarmingly high, quite uh, large numbers of people, but also because of the connection to kind of the broader global terrorist movement. Uh, they are believed to have been committed by a group called the NTJ, Now, the NTJ uh, stands for the National Thawit Jamaat. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering that, but this is a group, NTJ, it basically stands for the National Monotheism Organization, and they are a very small group, as I said, largely unknown. But as I mentioned, the connection to the larger entity here is quite fascinating in that the more infamous group known as ISIS, or the Islamic State, 
uh, claimed responsibility, meaning that they backed this this little small Sri Lankan group. And we, we, we now believe that NTJ has pledged allegiance to ISIS. Uh, there, there was a video that got released kind of after the attacks showing eight different men pledging their loyalty to the leader of ISIS, a man by the name of Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi. Uh, when they had the, there's a big like ISIS flag behind them. They all stood and rested around and pledged their allegiance to this man. And so the connection to the larger ISIS movement is pretty significant, especially because in recent months, you know, there's been massive campaigns to take down ISIS in Syria. And even just recently, it's been announced, you know, President Trump came out and said that the Islamic State was defeated in in Syria. They lost their last stronghold of a city. But there are actually, there's actually a lot of money. We're still talking billions of dollars that ISIS raised through oil funds and others that we really don't know where it went to. Uh, and so it's still out there. It is still existing somewhere in the ether of ISIS. And that means that they are still quite capable of carrying out a lot of attacks, uh, not only locally in the Middle East, but as we can see also in other places. Now, Sri Lanka itself is, a, is an island country just off the coast of India. And so it's, it's not really all that connected to the rest of what you might consider you know, the Middle Eastern terrorism or even some of the South Asian groups because of the island status. Uh, but we do believe they have had some connections to other groups in, in the region. There's a, a group called uh, Jamaat ul Mujahideen or JMI. This is a, an Indian group. There's a, a Bangladeshi group in the area as well. And so they do have some connections to other groups, some kind of more formalized alliances that they've started building. But let's uh, talk a little bit about this group, because as I said, they're they're relatively unknown. Uh, they're very small. Probably at most they have maybe 150 members. And this is a group that probably split off. There, there was another hard, kind of hardline Islamist group called the Sri Lankan Tawhid Jamaat or SLTJ, which was which existed kind of in the area, but wasn't a huge deal. And then around 2016, NTJ is believed to have split from them. Uh, to my knowledge, we don't know quite why they split, although there are probably a variety of, of reasons relating to you know tactics or you know, potential differences over ideology or whatever, something along those lines. But the NTJ has been known for a while to have been advocating very extremist, fundamentalist ideas, including, you know, indoctrinating children, child soldiers. You know, they've had quite a few clashes with, with the Buddhists in the country. Uh, Sri Lanka is actually mostly a Buddhist country. Uh, the, actually, the percentage of, of Muslims in the country is, I think, under 10%. And we've seen NTJ go after Buddhism uh, in particular on a couple different occasions. And in 2018, we saw that they had engaged in vandalism of several statues. There had been some, some riots in Sri Lanka, and these, the vandalism of the Buddhist statues were linked to that, or in protest of some of these riots. But really up until this point, NTJ was not known as a violent organization. As I said, vandalism, sure. Uh, there's even been some propaganda videos that they put out highlighting issue, you know, aspects of violence in other locations, you know, Myanmar, India, other countries, but they weren't really thought to be dangerous, at least not on any sort of existential level. And so there was actually an Intel report that kind of came out about a week or week and a half before Easter Sunday that mentioned a possible attack on churches. Uh, and, and so 
this advisory or this this report didn't actually even make it up all the way like all the way up the chain of command in part because this group had never really shown interest in that they hadn't they'd never committed anything even smaller you know beyond the basic vandalism and so because of that uh what you might consider adequate precautions uh or safety measures were not really put into place these things weren't these uh, actions weren't taken and so the major step up here from vandalism to committing a a major terrorist attack, uh, again killing you know 300 plus people, is something that's very strange. And this is par partly why we believe that ISIS had a, a fairly large hand in this. Obviously, ISIS has claimed responsibility; they have claimed to be involved, but you know they have to have been involved at probably a much greater extent than anyone has ever really even thought. Uh, simply to have these planned, just because to get simultaneous attacks on, you know, seven to eight different locations takes a lot of planning. And it almost certainly implies that they received materials and training and planning from some sort of outside uh, force, whether that is ISIS or some of these other groups. And so this communication or this uh, connection to the larger, broader Islamist movement is a huge step up for this relatively small unknown group. And it kind of remains to be seen what Sri Lanka is going to do to handle this. Uh, they've, at least initially, they declared a state of emergency. Uh, they issued a curfew, putting, you know, make, making sure people had to be back indoors at a certain point in time as they investigate this. Uh, so they've really kind of cracked down on a lot of uh, issues and they've really started trying to target uh, certain people to who they think may have been involved more in the planning stages. They've arrested quite a few other people. Um, I think the number of people in custody is now over 60 or so. And they're even starting to look into other potential splinter groups. Uh, further, but they've uh, formally declared NTJ a terrorist organization. As I said before, they were mostly involved with vandalism and things like that. So they were not really designated terrorist groups, just extremists. And now they've been officially designated a terrorist organization, which allows Sri Lanka to freeze any sort of assets that they um, believe belong to these organizations. But this actually is a pretty big deal for Sri Lanka because, uh, as we'll talk about after the quick commercial break in a minute, Sri Lanka has a long history with terrorism, but they actually hadn't seen any sort of uh, major terrorist attack since 2009 at the end of the Sri Lankan Civil War. Uh, and in fact, the last time a terrorist attack took place with deaths anywhere close to this, uh, I think even in the triple digits, was in 2006, even a few years before that. So it's, it was really thought in Sri Lanka that they were kind of past this this history here with a lot of their, their terrorism, but uh, clearly they're not. Uh, now, this is actually interesting because there have been a couple other types of terrorist groups in the past. Uh, there was a an ethno-terrorist group, kind of an ethno-nationalist group. Uh, they've had uh, Marxist-Leninist, kind of communist groups as well in the past. But we haven't really seen much on the way of kind of the radical Islamist movement. Now, since the, let's say, early 2010s, so in the last decade or so, there have been a, kind of a, a low but very consistent number of threats made against Christian congregations in the area, as well as kind of other religious minorities. Now, as I mentioned, um, Islam is itself a religious minority. Less than 10% of the country is Islamic. Uh, Christianity is actually even smaller, about 6 to 7% of Sri Lanka is, is Christian. Their main faith is Buddhism. About 70% of the country is Buddhist, with another, whatever's left, kind of 12 to 13% being Hindu. Now, the Christian minority in particular has been targeted by these type of groups. Again, we're talking mostly on the lines of threats or a handful of like 
small, very individualized attacks, not not major terrorist attacks. Yet by targeting Christian churches on Easter Sunday, which is obviously you know Christians' probably holiest day of the year, church attendance worldwide on this day is very, very high. It's clear that this was a targeted attack uh, for religious faith. Now, obviously, other groups were targeted too. Only three of the the targets were churches. Others were targeting hotels, the Shangri-La Hotel, the Cinnamon Grand Hotel, the Kingsbury Tropical Inn. Uh, there was, like I said there was another housing complex that was also targeted. Most of these hotels are hotels for foreigners. So it, this also kind of ties into the larger idea of you know, targeting foreigners, Westerners, tourists, and those sorts of or those sorts of um, individuals as well. Now we're going to go ahead and take just a quick 60 second uh, commercial break and on the other side we're going to come back and talk about the history of terrorism in Sri Lanka and talk about a couple of these other groups that have committed acts of terror in Sri Lanka in the past. Uh, in fact one group in particular uh, called LTTE although they go by a much more famous name is particularly fascinating as they are considered one of the premier or they were at the time considered one of the premier suicide terrorist groups in the world. Uh, but let's go ahead and take that quick 60-second commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side. Thanks so much for listening. Stick around, and I'll be right back in a minute. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Nutshell Politics. After that quick break, we're going to go ahead and dive right back into the topic of Sri Lankan terrorism. Now, as we were talking about before the break, Sri Lanka had a pretty major terrorist attack just last weekend on Easter Sunday, and it has sparked a lot of new fears that... This is going to kick off kind of a new wave of terrorism in the country uh, that may last for quite some time. Uh, there have been a lot of concerns that uh, there may be a lot of terrorists, what you might call sleeper agents, who would have who would initiate some sort of new round of attacks going forward. This would happen over and over again. There's a lot, a lot of fears around this, uh, especially considering how coordinated these attacks were. We're talking seven to eight you know, near simultaneous attacks in multiple different cities on different targets, all on the same, you know, same morning. And so there's a lot of concern that this might actually lead to another round of devastation for this country, which has seen a lot of devastation from terrorist terrorism in the past. Uh, and in fact, we do know that the NTJ has connections to you know, broader international groups. I mentioned this before the break as well, but we've we've seen the NTJ engage on social media. We've seen them get on. Uh, they have a Facebook account. They had a tw they have a Twitter account. Uh, they regularly organize various you know seminars. Uh, they distribute videos. They they give various talks. Uh, these type of things all kind of speak to kind of a a more long term goal and purpose, and also kind of an international flair some sort of you know transnational threat as well. But let's take a second and go back and explore the history in Sri Lanka because terrorism in Sri Lanka has been massively, massively destructive during two different time periods in their history. And again, there's some concerns, some fears that this may kick off a third. Uh, the first one took place uh, kind of starting in the 70s and then kind of in the, the mid to late 80s. And uh, this was uh, what's, what's called the JVP uh, insurrection. Now, JVP stands for uh, the Janatha Vimukthi Paramuna. Basically, it translates to the People's Liberation Front. This was a, a political movement in Sri Lanka of communists and kind of the Marxist-Leninist parties. And basically, there were a couple different armed uprisings against the governments, again, once in the 70s and then kind of again in the 80s. 
Now, over time, they've actually kind of transitioned into a political party, and they've been a, kind of a third party in in Sri Lankan politics uh, kind of ever since. But this was a, a group that engaged in some terrorist attacks and, and some uh, very violent uprisings during this time period. Just to uh, mention the 1971 uprising led by the JVP was, uh, it was unsuccessful, mostly led by the youth, but it actually ended up uh, killing over 30,000, uh, and most of those being uh, very young. Uh, so we're talking students, we're talking children in some cases, and this was a, actually um, worldwide attention kind of was focused on this during 71 because of of just how violent and how sudden this was. The, the, this group of insurgents, they were again very young, they were not well trained, they were poorly armed, but despite all of this stuff, they actually succeeded in, in grabbing territory and kind of across the southern and central provinces of Sri Lanka. Now, eventually they were defeated by security forces. As I said, they were not successful. But but this attempt to to seize power from the the traditional Sri Lankan government created a pretty big crisis in the country. And as I said, it ended up killing thousands and th tens of thousands of people. Now, we actually saw the this kind of defeat in 71 and uh, kind of lead to the up uh, further uprising in the mid-80s. In 1987, there was a revolt. And here we actually did start to see, this was became more terrorism instead of like insurgency. But the JVP began to engage in terrorist activity, particularly targeting kind of civil society. And this actually lasted a couple years. Uh, government forces eventually managed to kill or imprison, you know, the majority of the JVP. Uh, I believe something like 7,000 plus members were ultimately detained. And again, there was a, a very decisive government victory here. Now, one thing in this area is that it's very, very hard, probably impossible to know the true casualty count here because as I'll talk about in a second, the 80s kind of kicked off a period of civil war in Sri Lanka. And so there were a lot of different insurgent groups at the time using a lot of you know, various, some were much more official than others, some were very unofficial and informal. And so it was very chaotic and it was very, very difficult to know, you know, who was a member of which group and kind of how how to tally a lot of those casualties. So it's, it's unknown what this second insurgency by the, the JVP actually led to in terms of a kind of a death count. But we do know that it was uh, very brutal. They used a lot of very uh, brutal t uh, terrorist tactics. They used a tactic called necklacing. Uh, this is actually one that is probably more famous because it was copied off of the South African group, the ANC, which was a, a pretty terrible situation where you basically wrapped a tire around a person and set the tire on fire. So you basically burned people alive and, le and left them to die like that. And it was, it was very, very brutal. And so we do know that there were some pretty horrific attacks and, and types of attacks that were carried out during this time period by the JVP. Uh, but this kind of political insurgency eventually diminished. The, the kind of communist influence here eventually did kind of diminish. And as I said, the JVP kind of eventually transitioned into more of a political party. Now, in terms of terrorism, though, in Sri Lanka, most of the time we're talking about one particular group called LTTE. This is by far the most famous terrorist group out of Sri Lanka. They're actually considered one of the most famous in the world. And you may actually recognize them by their other name, the Tamil Tigers. And LTTE actually itself stands for the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam. Uh, Tamil Elam is in, like a, a state of sorts in the northeast quadrant of Sri Lanka. 
And so the Tamil Tigers, they're the Tigers of Tamil Elam, were trying to create an independent national estate in that region for the Tamil people. And the Tamil people are an ethnic group in Sri Lanka. Now, they were very involved in the Sri Lankan Civil War. And so they, there are a lot of different armed clashes here. There's a lot of overlap between kind of terrorism and insurgency. But eventually this became like a full-scale nationalist insurgency where the, the tigers were trying to, to oust the government and create their own independent country in that kind of northeast quadrant. And so they really started out kind of as a guerrilla force with terrorist activity. Eventually, they actually became quite large and began to resemble much more of like a conventional military. They had like military wings. They had a navy. They had an air force or a version of an air force. They had an intel group. They even had a special attack unit that was specifically designed for suicide attacks. Uh, they were designated a terrorist group by something like 30 plus countries, including the United States. And they're probably most famous for, for a couple of things. Uh, one is their suicide attacks. As I said, they, they had an entire wing for this. And in fact, they were probably the most prolific suicide attack group in the world uh, at the time. But they're also pretty well known for their high profile assassinations. They're the only terrorist group in the world to have killed two different world leaders. They managed to successfully assassinate the Sri Lankan president in 1993 and the Indian prime minister in 1991. Now, they did kind of go back and forth between kind of this terrorist insurgent group and more of a formal militarized force of sorts, depending on how strong they were at any particular given point in time. But at their peak, which is probably about 2000, of uh, the year 2000, they were in control of about 75% of that kind of northeastern province in Sri Lanka that they wanted. And so they actually held a lot of territory for quite some time here. Now, uh, ideologically, they were not like you know, the, the JVP I mentioned earlier that was a very Marxist communist group. There was some kind of revolutionary socialism built into the ideology here, but it was almost primarily a, a Tamil nationalist group. Now, the Tamil people are a an ethnic group in Sri Lanka that you also will find them in, in other parts of that region as well. They're mostly from this region. You'll see them have separatist movements in both Sri Lanka and in India as well. As I said earlier, Sri Lanka is kind of this island right off the coast of India, so you see a fair amount uh, of spread across the two countries there. Uh, the Tamil language is actually considered one of the oldest written languages in the world. Uh, there's a history dating back 300 years uh, BCE. But notably, this is not a religious movement. Uh, they were a secular group, which actually makes their adherence to suicide tactics very unique. Uh, at some point, I should probably do a whole episode on Tamil Tigers because they're one of the most fascinating terrorist groups in the world. But they were... They're, particularly known for being suicide attackers despite being secular. And that's, that's strange because most suicide attacks are justified by terrorist groups or, or they're con they convince the attackers to do it because of some promise of like an afterlife or something to that effect. But without that afterlife being a kind of a fundamental part of their ideology, LTTE was still widely successful in convincing people to carry out suicide attacks. And that's very, very unusual for them. Uh, but mostly, as I said, their, their goal here was to create an independent state for the Tamil people uh, under which they could you know, practice whatever their faith is. They're mostly Hindu, but they actually have uh, fairly significant minorities of, of other faiths as well, including Christianity and Islam. But ultimately, the Tamil Tigers were defeated uh, militarily, actually. They're one of the few groups that has was truly wiped out militarily. Uh, they were defeated in about 2009 or so. And there were something like... 
12,000 LTTE members that ultimately surrendered to the Sri Lankan military. Now, a lot of these these individuals were put into um, kind of de-radicalization camps. And in fact, some some of the, the few successful de-radicalization practices during this time period were in LTTE. And we, we've seen quite a few of their members successfully reintegrate themselves back into society, which is very unusual for terrorist groups. Uh, terrorist members have a really hard time going back to normal society for a variety of reasons, namely that they have a hard time adjusting, but they're also unlikely to be accepted. But the Tamil Tigers actually have managed to pull this off. There are a handful of, of people who de-radicalized or back in civil society. There's even a handful that ended up running for government down the road in, and obviously through a very legal and legitimate process. And so it's thought that the methods used by Sri Lanka could be potentially uh, exported to other locations for de-radicalization purposes as other terrorist groups are defeated. And, you know, the question is raised about how do we get them to integrate back into society? We can't just lock them all up, just not capable, particularly in some of these countries that just don't have the material capabilities uh, to do so. So how, how do we handle that? It's thought that this case with Sri Lanka and LTTE may be a good model for that. On the flip side, though, you know, the, because they're a nationalist group, their tactics of de-radicalization may not apply to, say, a religious group. So there's a lot of question about that. But it is interesting because they have a lot of very unique qualities uh, that we may be able to to use to understand other groups or to export to, to other locations. But this, going getting back to the idea of you know, Sri Lanka, they have this long history of terrorism. Uh, as I said, you had JVP in kind of the 70s and 80s. You had uh, the Tamil Tigers, which was this kind of ethno-nationalist group uh, that was fighting for independence kind of through the, the 80s, 90s, into the 2000s. Uh, and then they kind of stopped. And pe most people thought that they kind of were past this in 2009 when LTTE was very de uh, decisively defeated by the Sri Lankan military. But now we're seeing the potential rise of a third kind of terrorism. Uh, and this would be the, the Islamist terrorism that we just saw with NTJ last weekend. And so Sri Lanka is kind of in this weird, unique boat where they have this long history of terrorism, but it's not even the same type of terrorism. They've moved from kind of communist Marxist ideologies to ethno-nationalist ideologies to, to now kind of a religious Islamist ideology. And so they have a long, long history of violence against the government for, you know, for political or religious or societal purposes. And so the people of Sri Lanka are probably understandably very concerned because, you know, this was only a decade ago that LTTE was, was finally defeated by the Sri Lankan military. And so m most people in the country have some sort of memory of, of these events. And they're very worried that, you know, this could spark new uprisings across the country, especially as NTJ has apparently created some formal connections to to larger, more powerful groups like ISIS. And so it kind of remains to be seen what will happen going forward in Sri Lanka. There's a lot that still is unknown, as I've mentioned too. Uh, NTJ, there's a lot that we don't know about them. Uh, they really have only existed for a couple years. You might be able to trace them back to say 2014. Even that's pretty suspect. And so there's still a lot of unknowns out there. Uh, going forward, Sri Lankan uh, security forces uh, and 
military have have really cr- tried to crack down just in the last week on NTJ. Uh, security forces actually raided a safe house uh, just a couple days ago, and uh, quite a few people actually died during this raid as there were several suicide bombers that they had tracked to these homes, and the suicide bombers chose to blow themselves up rather than uh, surrender, and this actually ended up killing, I believe, another 16 people, including several children who were involved in, in this, uh, who were in the house with some of the uh, suicide bombers, which is honestly one of the most cowardly things you can do is to, to use children as, as human shields like they were doing uh, and to, to go after children like that. But this is something I guarantee you the United States and other countries across the West will be keeping a very close eye on because of its connection to kind of the broader global war on terror that exists. And uh, it would not surprise me to see some Western countries try to get involved and offer support or aid to Sri Lanka as they fight, you know, these counterterrorism or counterinsurgency operations because of that connection to the, you know, the more global movement. Uh, But with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode this week. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm really excited to be back with you guys on a more regular basis after the last two weeks. Now, if you'd like to get in contact with me, uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username there is JustinR underscore Kinney. You can find me, hit that follow button, and be happy to continue this conversation or any others with you. You can also find me on Facebook. I write fiction novels under the name J. Robert Kinney, and you can find my author page on Facebook, J. Robert Kinney. You can also find my two mystery novels on Amazon. There's a book I have called Precipice that came out about three years ago, and there's another sec- a second book that just came out this past November called Splintered State. Uh, both of them have done really well, and I'm excited about that. I'm working on a third book as well. Uh, so you can find me on Amazon. You can find those two books. They're available both paperback and Kindle. Now, if you'd like to support me, support this podcast in any way, or advertise on the podcast, please get in contact with me. I have a Patreon account. I also would love to just sit down and talk with you more about the possibility of advertising or anything along those lines. Uh, But with that, I think we're going to go ahead and shut down the episode. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I am excited to be back with you guys, and I will see you next week here on Nutshell Politics. This is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. 